restarted the recording, so welcome to this <laughs> industry life. I am your host, Brandon Haskell. I'm your co-host, Anthony Wilson. And I'm your producer, Katie Garland-Noble. Today, it is just us three. Um, we will have a guest next week, which next week is Heather. Heather um, Mingo. Yeah, who is a first AD, an actress. A Real voice, class act. A voice she's actor. She's a true class act. She's an actress. She's a director. She writes. She's just a powerhouse. Exactly. So tune in next week for that video or that podcast. Um, but this week, it's just us three. And we have really quickly asked Instagram for some questions. So we will answer some audience questions within this episode. Um, but yeah, other than that, we're just going to talk about ourselves for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, I have a couple questions already if y'all want to get the ball rolling. I have one too. Okay. Um, but I think first we should ask how each other's doing. So, yeah. Katie, how, you how are you? I'm really good. All in all, um, I'm up to my ears and deliverables. Mm-hmm. How about you guys? I'm good. I yeah, I was on a couple music videos, finished one yesterday, and I was shooting one with a friend on Saturday, and they went really well. And the music videos have been really fun. And yeah. That's awesome. Brandon? <laughs> I was like, Whitey, first of all, I just say that name. Go ahead, Brandon. Oh, I'm narcissistic. But yes, I uh, I worked on a music video. I first AC'd for, on a music video with Sam on Sunday and then I've just been uh, taking it easy and enjoying quarantine. What does that look like for you? (laughs) Uh, Taking it easy? Yeah. Uh, Taking it easy. Sounds so nice right now to me. Oh my God. I I want to take it easy. I've been helping Katie get some stuff done for the one you feed. Yes. Very generously. I had a call Tuesday with another producer to potentially help out or go through the process of making a feature in Missouri. Um, And yeah, I'm just chilling, waiting on call for my next gig. Love it. But it's fun. I mean, we've been playing Frisbee golf. (laughs) Oh, you did Frisbee golf. Oh, yeah. I love that. Frisbee golf and tennis, playing tennis, go on a hike every now and then. But yeah, so awesome. COVID-19 ain't got nothing on me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're not putting that in. No, no, that is going right in, right in. (laughs) Turn up the volume on that. Um, Yeah, that's that's great. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's turn it to audience questions, because obviously we cannot talk about ourselves for more than five minutes. All right, you want to hear one? <laughs> yeah. Okay. User two one seven seven says, <laughs> "I'm embarrassed to say the username of this one." Um, N Wilson RPH. Is that your brother? Oh. That's my mom. Oh. We'll start with my I mama. Love um, her. I love how her. do you do the amount of research needed for a film? How That's do you? It's a great question, mom. Um. It's it's different for everybody, I'd say, just starting out. I think 
I think it really depends. For me, I usually like to start from a, from what I know and then what I don't, I try to uncover through the research. So um, like West Virginia, for example, I feel like I reached a cap in my story that I was writing and I was like, I need to take another trip out there and get more perspective. So I think you just know when you, when you need more research um, and you don't have to go to the place to research. You can read materials, you can read books, you can... <laughs> call people from those areas you can do a lot of things but um you can also watch films that are tonally the same as you as yours or thematically the same and just get ideas or see what they did and see what you can do differently um i don't think do there's you think a, immersion is immersion helps though like for you it really helps i think you when you i do think it go. really helped i mean there i am writing this train hopping film and i feel like I was researching the train hopping community on Reddit. I found like a sub, like there's a subreddit for everything, you know, and like yeah. people get personal on Reddit. So you can actually like get a lot of research there. So it's called Vagabonds and it's just a subreddit that's dedicated to hitchhikers, train hoppers and homeless people really. And wow. I, yeah, I was researching a lot through that and I kind of figured out how to hop trains and I decided to, hop one just to see how it's done because for my film I really want to shoot on an actual hop like an actual freight train illegally but um so I wanted to see how safe it is and also just the feeling of what it's like to ride on them how loud it is how fast it goes where it goes and I feel like I would have not been able to figure that out if I was just reading a book about it or something like that I feel like it was just such a visceral experience i don't know um yeah that was funny because i couldn't reach you for like two days and i was like oh where's anthony and then you called me you're like um i have to train to arizona and it was really cold so. oh my god it was freezing <laughs> yeah and i was my friend grady was he was on tour during that time and that's why i did it because i'm like i really wanna, oh, okay i really want to hop a train but i'm like how the hell am i gonna get back to la and oh, totally. they were on the road that entire time. And after Arizona, they're going to San Diego for another show and then eventually L.A. And I'm like, this is perfect. I'm just going to hop the train to Arizona and then I'll get in their little tour car and get back to L.A. eventually. And I told them I was coming <laughs> and they're like, oh, hell yeah, I can't wait to see you. And they didn't know how I was coming. And then <laughs> in the middle of my journey, I was like, it was going like 50. The train was going 50 miles per hour in the middle of the desert. I just FaceTime Grady like from the oh moving train. God. I'm like, hey, I'm on my way. He's like, where the <laughs> hell are you? And I just panned out to the, what was outside of me. And they're like, what the fuck are you? You're weird. What are you doing? <laughs> that but is so cool. Did you feel safe? Honestly, no. When, when, when I was no. going through Arizona, it was, the sun was down at that point and it was in the middle of the desert. I was riding like the Arizona, Mexico border. Whoa. And through the desert and I don't like like we were even we weren't even near like a highway. It was just pure desert, like with train tracks. And it was really dark. All you could see was the stars and like silhouettes of the mountains. And I think I've told Brandon this. It was just I literally felt like I was in hell. It was just <laughs> the train oh was so loud. I mean I had earplugs, but it was just so loud. It was the desert was so cold. I did not pack properly. All I ate was like six peanut butter jelly sandwiches that I packed. <laughs> I was out of water. And oh my gosh. it was, the train was just so loud. It just felt like I was just this, just like, you know, on this lifeless machine <laughs> that was just dragging me through the deepest layers of hell. Like literally, Yikes. I was screaming at the top of my lungs. 
Oh Sorry, my this god! Is, it you were screaming. No, yeah, I was it's like, really ah! <sighs> Did you ever wow. see the movie? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Lion? Did you guys ever I've see never, Lion? I've never. I've always wanted to see it. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, you have to! But there's like that exact scene. But it's it's a little kid, which makes it like oh, heartbreaking. That's so heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. I, it was just scary because I wanted it to stop because it went past my where I wanted to stop and it just like no if, way. Yeah, so I ended up all the way in Tucson and I was supposed to get to Tempe. Oh, and so no. when I got to Tucson at like two in the morning, my friends were supposed to pick me up, but they were all I think it was actually like four in the morning. They fell asleep, and so I had to take a Greyhound bus. Oh my! After all that <laughs> to Tempe, yeah, it was like Greyhound's so cheap. It was like eight dollars, I think, or something even cheaper. I don't mm-hmm. know. But no yeah, wonder. that was my research. <laughs> yeah, no wonder your mom asked a question. She did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's like, "What's my son up to?" For real. <laughs> real but i yeah i've been able to write the film more and kind of i haven't met any hoppers because i, I want to hop it again and actually like meet one on the way but it sounds kind of scary i don't know if i really want to mm-hmm. i don't know what i still have to get you that book that i read about train hopping and being a vagabond or whatever they're called it was, it was amazing really? i still don't remember what it's called yeah i would love to read it yeah i, I still need more research I, yeah i feel like i just gotta feel right i don't know the mm-hmm. amount of research while you're writing you'll know um, but yeah, you don't have to immerse yourself fully, but you can also just talk to people who are, you know, if you gain the trust, if I was on that Reddit page, I could have simply tried to just find a user that, that posts yeah. videos of them train hopping and just reach out to them and be like, Hey, do you mind if, yeah, I think there's, uh, there's different levels of mm-hmm. research and there's different levels of authenticity. And I think if you're writing a feature and you think um, that what you have wrote is a hundred percent authentic without doing too much research. Yeah. Uh, then I guess it would be okay. But I, if you want to write like a truthful and 100% accurate story, I guess do as much research as possible, which could take months and years. And yeah, that's true. I think that's why they always tell you, write What you know, because it's easier. Mm, yeah. Although some writers, you know, have this amazing ability to like almost just like a channel a story or something yeah. and they don't even know where it came from. But I think most writers, it's you need to know the characters, you need to know their experience and yeah, um, yeah. it helps tremendously. And I would say also part of research is not just you looking for um answers you're also taking your script to people Mm -hmm. um to find a truthful answer yeah i feel like i mean there's research done on all sides of the spectrum with 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 the film crew and cast i mean even the actors are researching accents and dialects and researching characters that have gone through similar scenarios or whatever and the director is researching the story or whatever and dp's researching this type of light and this like i feel like we're all and like set decorators are researching what kind of couches they were using during this time in this country and you know, whatever random things like that. But yeah. Yeah. For sure. To replicate authenticity, it does require a lot of research and sometimes immersion, I guess. But yeah, you want to do another one? Uh, yeah. Okay. Here's another one from Gareth Corzin. Oh, wow. <laughs> Here we go. Is there a huge difference between shooting digital and film other than the monetary costs? What a sweetie. Great question, Gareth. Brandon, uh, you wanna Yeah, I we've mean talked about this I mean a lot. I can answer this. I think <laughs> <laughs> there's sure a lot it. of differences. 
um, not necessarily the look of film versus digital because I think with a lot of technologies nowadays, it's extremely easy to replicate um, film with a digital sensor. But I think what's so unique about film is the process of shooting Um, because you don't get to constantly see what you're um, shooting. You just have to trust that it's there and you don't get to see it till weeks after it's done, processed and scanned. I think there's this common notion that when you shoot on film, you're forced to be more prepared and all this. But I feel like you should that should just be the the mindset for however you're shooting your project. If you're shooting digital, you should be just as prepared as you are when you're shooting on film. I think there's there's times where film really isn't necessary like for instance, I think Honey Boy, there was a lot of improvisation that film. And so they shot like multicam and like digital because they they're trying to catch authentic like authentic moments between the characters that weren't written. And I feel like in moments like that, maybe shooting on film, unless you have the budget, I guess you can mm-hmm. you could do it, but yeah, there's just I think we've talked about this. There's just another life with with film, the yeah, like the grain just, and all that. It adds just another layer to what you're looking at, and sometimes that's necessary. Whether yeah, whatever I think you're going it w- for. a couple podcasts ago we were talking about uh, printing a script versus uh, like reading oh, yeah. a script in mm-hmm. email, and how like tangible on uh, printing an actual script is. Like you feel like you're actually reading the script. It's kind of the same thing with film, like. The film is actually there. Like what you shot is actually tangible. It's not just like a bunch of numbers on a laptop. Like it's a celluloid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's also totally. something to that too. I feel like people also shoot on film. What's that one movie? A Steve Jobs movie? Oh yeah. They, yeah. It's just Steve Jobs. It's the Aaron Sorkin Steve Jobs. Yeah. I feel like you can also get trapped in shooting on film just because you're shooting something that takes place in that in an older mm-hmm. decade, which I feel like is a weird thing. Because obviously it's not. I mean, it, it, I I think it might help. It helps, but it's just if you think but about if, it, if you were in 1968, what it, it would look the same, except for the color palette of of and you know uh, cars and things yeah. like that. That would all look different. But as far as what you're, you know, the light and what you're seeing, I get what just, you mean. Yeah. yeah, like it's just like what you see in your eyes is always it. Always, it's always been this clear. My oh, eyes yeah. have never seen in 16 millimeter. That's always been. Yeah. For instance, what's that movie that was done? Uh, David Fincher, the Zodiac killer. It's like, that looks really vintage, but they sh- like, it's, you know, shot on whatever camera mm-hmm. was of the most used uh, digital camera that of that year it was shot on. But what made it look vintage was just the color palette. Like it was, it was I think it was late sixties. So There's a lot of like mustard yellows and browns and, the furniture and the clothing style and the hairstyles and all that. And I feel like I was more in that world because it was sharper, but mm-hmm. it looked like it was the, I don't know. There's just a it's lot hard to explain. It. It's uh, it's basically comes down to what you want as a director and a DP. And if you personally feel like uh, film is going to get you to the story um, objective that you want. So if shooting on film helps you tell a story better than shoot on film, if shooting digital helps you tell a story better than shoot digital. Um, yeah. But nowadays, uh, both of them are easily accessible. Yeah. And I wish I could shoot everything on film. I just love the look, but yeah, for sure. Also, if you want to hear 
um, some of the professionals talk about film versus digital. Roger Deakins is a good guy to go to Mm -hmm. uh, to listen to his argument about film versus digital. So, yeah, that's true. Uh, Another audience question: KD, how are you doing? Add something to the film versus no, digital. No, well, I, I think my Sorry. opinion... No, no, no. My opinion is probably not very popular because a producer's point of view is like I'm automatically oh. going to get think it's more expensive and it makes me nervous and I'd rather not, you know. But I know there are some cinematographers or directors that are like super insistent like David Lynch and like obviously if David Lynch is insisting on something then you just go along with it, you know. But the, the mm. flip side of that is like like Brandon was saying like this has been that was the norm for you know all of cinema history until you know just very recently when digital became the norm so it's it's very Mm. very doable i think my concern is that there aren't enough people that have the skills anymore to uh and maybe that's wrong like i don't know but i just feel like it like back in the day that's all they knew so everybody knew what the fuck they were doing with film and now that seems like more of a lost art form so it just makes me a little more nervous i personally think there's a renaissance going on with film yeah there i don't totally think it's a lost is. art form i think it's like actually i don't know i don't know what it was like back then i mean obviously it was way more normal but i feel like it's everyone wants to do it mm-hmm. literally everybody I was uh, I was listening to a Hollywood Reporter roundtable with all the DPs for the 2018 Oscars, nice. and the host of the roundtable asked the question: "Film versus digital nowadays?" And all of the DPs on the roundtable just sighed because they're sick and tired of this question. Yeah, <laughs> they're like, they're like literally, it's it's like whatever like you want to shoot like they're <laughs> you can achieve like the same things we're just tired of people arguing about film versus digital obviously yeah. like i have my preferred way of shooting he has his preferred way of shooting like it's just a crazy uh discussion that's it shouldn't even be an argument it's just yeah it's whatever yeah, you it's want just, yeah it's whatever you whatever want fits the story and yeah obviously i mean film always looks don't say that because <laughs> no 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 no. i'm saying i feel like people listen, no, you, i'm talking i'm being devil's advocate i feel like that's what people always say it's like film always just looks better and that's why they just want to shoot everything on film to you not to, to them. me no to this them. is what i hear yeah to them to them yeah or as roger deakins might say digital looks better yeah it just depends hey what lenses are you like what's 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 going on what's the lighting what's the composition i feel like yeah obviously films film blooms the light a little has an interesting look Mm -hmm. and as the grain um but i don't know it's things you can do digitally too if you want if you need that filters and stuff i I also talk more about roger deakins because he's my role model but he does mention how film there's a layer between the audience and the picture itself. There's there's a celluloid in mm-hmm. between, and that can just be a distraction for the audience. Whereas with digital, um, you're not passing through the celluloid, so you're just you're seeing it for what it's worth, rather than it being processed by yeah, like well, grain and stuff. And mm-hmm. on on the other side of that, what if the digital is shot on I don't know what's the highest K right now is it like 10 K yeah and it's like super sharp I mean what is that layer like where that's like on that's not human to mm-hmm. see that sharply yeah unless you're watching like some blue planet 
feel like it's necessary but you see some shows on netflix where it's shot you can tell they shot it on an extremely yeah i i i am personally repulsed by the amount of k's and how uh people think the more k's the better like i would be perfectly fine shooting on a 1080p alexa classic rather than a 12k black magic camera that just come out like i agree with you here's what i'm for as long as Whatever you're shooting, however you shoot it, pulls emotion and tells the story properly, then shoot it that way. So yeah, I feel like if a 12k only- camera is gonna pull the emotion of a polar bear plunging out of the <laughs> Arctic, then yeah, then it's warranted. If film grain is going to help the emotion of a divorced family in marriage story, then it's obviously like needed to tell the story. So right. It's whatever is needed to tell the story and however you like to shoot. Exactly. Nicholas Powell, who is a friend of mine and alumni at Mizzou, um, he said, when is the first time you remember getting good or being skilled? And how do you reflect on that transition from knowing nothing to being someone who creates with some success? Whoa. That's a good question. Um, oh, wow. Whew. I think I think my moment was, I guess the most recent one I can think of, was just probably when yeah when I was shooting Sebastian. Um, there is a scene where there's like a divorce happening, but there's no dialogue. You guys have both seen it. You just see it happening, and even though there was no dialogue, I really wanted, it, even though it was like this flashback sequence, and it was only going to be up there for five seconds. I really wanted it to feel like a real argument that's been going on for the past couple hours in this suburban kitchen or wherever. And it was just, I feel like that was a good testament to my directing or not a testament, a challenge, I should say to make, to not just be like, all right, action. All right. You guys just scream at each other and we're just going to roll for it. Like, you know, I, I had to be more than that. And I put a lot of work into it, even though again, it was just like for five seconds, I just, I got these two actors and I emailed them a whole page of backstory not backstory of just character bios for each of the characters and I also told them things that the other one didn't know like the father character found out that he was being cheated on and she hasn't known that yet and I described how he found out and I emailed him because I it was it was all we didn't have time to like rehearse so it was yeah. just like all through email and it's like yeah so you know this about her and she doesn't know that and um while we were shooting um you know i set them up in the kitchen like had her cooking or whatever and then we were shooting on film and i would tap on sam like i'd have them run the scene the argument i'd give them two phrases i think the phrases were like you do nothing for him it's like i do everything for him you do nothing for i do everything for him (laughs) it was something like that i don't know but anyways um once they got in that groove and they started adding their own words to it and improving and it was getting good. That's when I would tap on Sam's shoulder to start recording. And then I also had a cue for the guy actor to bring up what he knows about her. And I feel like that was just a good, um, that was my first time really, I don't know. Cause I'm really happy with how it turned out. Um, even though there's no dialogue again and it's only up there for two seconds, I feel like it looks realistic. And I think all that work was actually worth it mm-hmm. for just you know, a hundred frames or however many frames that was. Um, I'm really happy. I 
took all those things I've learned from school or just from books or whatever things you hear and actually applied them. And you know, there's a reason why these things work mm-hmm. and why you do them. And I feel like that was a good moment where it's like, yeah, this is direct. I love directing and cause I feel like it's easy as a director to get caught up in how you want it to look and the cinematography and all of that. But at the end of the day, like you, you, you got to, be good with directing actors and I feel like I don't you don't get to test that as much it's not as easy to just to test that unless mm-hmm. you're on production yeah you know what I mean I mean I think uh I mean it can be easy but yeah I think the actors are the one way for the audience to get into the movie so you have to have good acting for for any audience member to at least want to watch what you have created so if you're yeah. a talented director and you uh uh, do what you did and figure out unique ways to get actors to actually act. Um, yeah. It just makes uh, audience engagement a hundred times better. Yeah. It was just interesting to let them, like I didn't give them so much, you know, it was still pretty instinctual for them, which I feel mm-hmm. like that's the game you play with actors. It's, yeah. You guys are both, you guys are doing this together and that's what it, and it was just a good feeling. And I just want to keep honing that skill so much more than anything in directing. I just want to keep, and I've even reached out to actor friends of mine if they ever want to, because a lot of actors write and they have scenes that they want to shoot for their reels and stuff. And I'm like, I'd be so happy to help mm-hmm. direct them just to, to both train our skills together. And so, yeah, I've been doing that lately, which has been really, I'm really excited for it. That's amazing, sure. Anthony. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My first time realizing that I was skilled or good at filmmaking was when I did my short a couple of years ago and then moving to Los Angeles to uh, further that success. So it's very surface level. And if no, you go that's, back, I feel like, no, no, no. <laughs> I feel like um, Saved by Grace. It's just crazy how each production you do is, is like four years of film school put into yeah, you know, exactly. a week of filming. It's just, it's insane. I just felt like you learn. after I did that, I just it just solidified that like that's why I was that's why I'm on the planet. Oh. Uh, but yeah, that's I love so that. awesome. Isn't that wasn't that also the moment where your parents were like, oh, okay, this is a real thing? Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of people realize that this is a real thing. Even my professors at school that told me to drop out and then yeah, move to Los Angeles. So um, if you are a filmmaker and you have family or friends struggling to understand like what you do. It's very helpful to send them pictures on set or bring them on set with you periodically just so they get to know like uh, what you do and then can 100% realize that and then back you with all they want. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, (laughs) but yeah, that's awesome. I, I would say that my parents have always been there for me no matter what. So I think any parent, any parent would be a little, especially if you're just like you come from a more traditional background, any parent's going to get scared, right? And they're going to think like, you know, what are the chances, blah, blah, blah. But then, so what I was going to say and what my experience has been is that the people that didn't understand, once you start to have successes, like for you, you had your short film and it like was getting all this praise or for me, like the things that are happening now with our feature, then people go, oh, and they have like all the confidence in the world in you. It's, but I think maybe like the key is that you don't 
need that anyways. It helps to have like, you know, like I'm like super lucky. My parents have always supported my dreams like ridiculously, but a lot of other family members I have totally don't understand it. And they think it's like, you know, um, you know, they don't just, they just don't get it. And they see like the odds are so low or whatever, but once you realize like Brandon just said like no this is why I'm on the planet like I have to like pursue this I have to do this like and you just like own that and then you start to have successes then people are like oh okay yeah cool yeah good for you yeah I think Mm -hmm. when I made movies in high school it was more of like this was a thing that I wanted to do yeah whereas then when I made the short film and wrapped on the short film it was like no this is like what I have to do exactly there's a whole mindset uh difference between the two and also my parents have always been 100% supportive of my dreams um but I don't there's always like that hesitant mind because you always want your child to succeed and make a lot of money so sure um it's easier to make money doing a traditional job than just uh, being a starving artist for a couple of years and then being a big filmmaker. Um, but yeah, and I think uh, once the money hit the bank account for the short film, my parents were like totally ecstatic and were like, this is amazing. Like my son's actually doing something. So that's so cool. That's I think so that beautiful. Was, that was when I realized that I was good at something and um, how I made sure I was successful was just moving to Los Angeles and putting myself in the best place possible to keep growing. Yeah, I feel like going kind of bouncing off what you said. I feel like I rather I would have rather said this answer to Nicholas's questions. Name mm-hmm. Nick. Yeah, is yeah when I made my film in college my senior year without me that was about mental health and it was something that was very. Uh, revealing for me because I've lived I lived a lot of my life pretty closed off and to put that in art and release that and have see have family and friends see it and even um, this lady from mental health organization saw it and showed people in the organization and and to have people reach out to something that I've been so closed off about for so long whether just saying hey I'm here for you if you're ever going through this or it's just like, hey, I've been going through this and it was so nice to see this character situation on screen because this is something I've gone through. And I feel like that was probably, because that was right right after that I graduated, like a month after, and then I moved to LA. And I feel like that was my kind of, this is what I'm here for, is yeah. to tell these stories, not just for myself, but also for those that need to hear it. Exactly. Uh, I think too another kind of aspect of feeling that you're good at something is when you actually get paid to do something that you love doing. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a big reward in actually making movies and getting a paycheck for it. So if you're not doing that right now, keep pushing and you'll get there someday. Katie, what about you? for that question it was a really good question um my answer is probably gonna be so long because i have like three different things i do but um yeah for producing i i don't know if you ever feel like you're having like you like yeah i know that i'm really good at it and everything but you're always constantly gonna be like throwing a curveball you know what i mean so i feel like you almost just have to be resilient and that like 
I don't know. There, I don't know. There's just something where, like, you're always going to get thrown curveballs. There's always going to be, like, uncomfortableness or, like, something you didn't anticipate. And so you just have to, like, find those miniature successes kind of. Like, oh, okay, I handle that. Okay, sweet. Yes. Yeah. And then, like, you're going to get something else and you're going to get something else. And that's just, like, the name of the game, you know? Yeah. Um, Are you a completionist? Do you like just checking things off the, like, the list? As a producer. Oh my god, I have my list in front of me and yeah. I get the most satisfaction <laughs> and Gareth Gareth will like throw my lists away because I'm like I'm like so weird. I love lists. He's like, you don't need this. It's all in your head anyway. I'm like, I know. <laughs> um but yeah, for a writer, um I think, you know, I think every writer's so different. Um, I don't know. Like for me, it definitely took me a really long time to feel like confident in my writing and I'm at that point now but it definitely took me a long time whereas other people they just like I don't know I think they don't have like the inhibitions that I had or something um and with acting I think I was just sort of like I just liked it and I didn't care as much about it I think that's part of my thing mm -hmm. with writing is I care so much about it that I maybe like make my own blocks with it or something mm. um Whereas like, yeah, I mean, acting and producing, I don't, I don't like have this like identity thing with it. So I just am like, yeah, cool. Do it. Don't even think about it. Don't really care about it that like it's fun and it's cool. And, um, I mean, the successes really do feel good though. Don't get me wrong. Like once like you get like some big success or what feels big at the moment, then it's like, all right, like mm -hmm. this is, this is pretty freaking cool, you know, but yeah. I think you can't live for that. No, um, they're short lived too. I mean, I don't know how, how long the successes last for you guys though, but after they happen, yeah, it's you like, want the next thing, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, they don't last like at all. If anything, it's going to come with its own headaches, you know what I mean? Like, or its own like, um, uphill battles or whatever you want to say, its own challenges or, so you just have to like, appreciate you just have to love the journey you know i mean that's so cliched but like that's just what it comes down to is, true yeah you I, know i would say that realizing that you're good at something is also realizing that you're passionate about something because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. once you have that passion there's there's uh you couldn't you can't get worse at what you want to do if you're very <laughs> very passionate yeah about it. we like, are really lucky that we are doing what we love i i remember yeah, hanging out with my friend Johnny one morning, and he he had to go to work at nine, and I'm like, I have to get back to my room and mm -hmm. edit something. He's like, How's that feel? Just like I'm dreading <laughs> going to work right now. Like he works in real estate, and oh, he just yeah. like reminded me. I was like, Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's the pros and cons of either side, but I guess at least I know what I'm, at least what I'm doing is what I love. <laughs> exactly. Even though it can hurt sometimes, the money isn't always there or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, it is a, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Katie. No, I had, I totally had that moment. Sorry to interrupt you, Brandon, today. Um, it's like our shower was broken for like three days and I was like really grumpy about it. It was just like, oh my God, like I need a shower. And Gareth reminded me that he's like, just like, he's like, do you know where you are right now? Like you're doing everything you love and you have this huge distribution company of this beautiful movie, like shut up. You know what I, mean? <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, that's, 
amazing so lucky sorry and then he like rigged the shower for me so i would stop complaining (laughs) (laughs) i just feel like in this industry you're constantly learning more than you're knowing things if that makes sense um even because once you know something okay then you're on the you're on a better set or you're getting paid a little bit more because you know this now but now there's new things to learn on this set and it's just like even when you get to the big dog level or whatever you're still like you just this is an industry where you're learning more than you're knowing i think that's what's so cool about it though yeah is it's not like you go to school for four years to learn how to do something the rest of your life like you're just constantly evolving, learning. You're learning about film, the old days, and then learning about the new technologies. And yeah, it's just a really cool industry to be in. Yeah, it's always evolving. And yeah, and I think and you, yeah, you're always expanding as an artist too, and that means your yeah. work can expand as well. And mm-hmm. as the world, this sounds really oh God. As I said, the, I'm, I'm mentioning the world right now. Um, but as the world <laughs> changes socially and culturally, I mean, the stories do too. And it's just, it, it's it's interesting what people want to hear mm-hmm. as as the years go by. What kind of things you see at the Oscar? I mean, not, not to say that the Oscars is a good display of what's, yeah. but you know what I mean. It's just, yeah, it's just it's just cool that there's new voices that are finally getting a chance to to tell their story and you're, we're seeing new faces on screen and it's just i can't wait to see what what else we're going to see in 20 yeah. years and there's so many voices that aren't heard that are now being heard that we have the opportunities so cool. as filmmakers to uh give even a louder voice to the unheard so. and with all those voices there's it sounds like there's a lot of them there's also a lot of outlets too there's more outlets i think i don't know I might be wrong, but oh, absolutely. Kind of. I mean, more and more. I think they're, and then they're gonna keep evolving, and it's gonna keep changing, and and yeah, I mean, it's like the same but new, the same but new, and I think mm-hmm. it's gonna keep happening like that with human consciousness and media and mm-hmm. like all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're pretty lucky to be alive right now maybe all every generation's always said that but i think we're pretty freaking lucky yeah a little different question yeah yeah let's from, do it this is from noah Bashera, dear friend of mine thank you noah Aww. um what is your spirit animal something a little different maybe you can relate it to film if you want i've always thought of myself as a, a strapping young porcelain dolphin and just, <laughs> That's all. That's that's what I what I see in myself, and a dolphin. I yeah, I've always, I've always just connected with dolphins, and I love them, magical creatures, but they're low key. They'll pop out for a, li- a little bit, and then they'll go back down, and like it just brings so much joy to your day. Um, and I just hope <laughs> I can do that for people. Just pop in. Bring some joy. You totally, pop you pop in and bring joy. <laughs> you thought you're a total dolphin. So, and, and they're telepathic and we're telepathic. That's true. Well, I <laughs> am a big O. Oh my goodness, was that it? That, that was a, a dolphin, dolphin got, over there. Uh, <laughs> Did you make a dolphin noise? I tried. It's so hard. We all have to it do a no- We all have to try to do our animal noise too after you answer. So oh, you guys damn. just heard mine. It was a little low key, but. <laughs> it'll pop out again yikes <laughs> go ahead brandon uh i'm just a big old heaping pile of a sea cow <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah yours is a sea cow i thought it was a sea lion sea lion kind of the same thing big old fat water animal that's what i'm 
<laughs> Why? Because every time you see an image of one of those uh, one of those uh, animals, you just have to laugh. What are you trying to say about yourself here? Th- Aren't you guys laughing? I'm, I'm no, I'm <laughs> kind of a little bit. You're giggling, and I have no idea what the sound of a sea cow makes. So, is it actually I'll try. called a sea cow? It is it's called not a sea, a cow. sea lion. Sea cow. Okay. Sea lions have... are, they're kind of like seals, but they have ex- external ears. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That was amazing. I feel oh, like that's... Yeah, we'll see if that makes <laughs> it in or not. That will. That's pretty it... Yeah, I gotta start learning to edit these podcasts, Brandon. I'm, yeah. I'm not liking some of these edits. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah, I took some of Katie's stuff out yet. <laughs> Katie, what's no, your, I'm kidding. What's your uh, what's your spirit animal? Um, Aslan, my dog. Oh and yeah. He's yeah. He he makes so many noises. I can't. I don't even know where to start with all of his noises. Okay. <laughs> um. Okay. This is from Naim Alatasi Nemers, friend in Michigan again. He said, if you could pick one actor or artist to film for, who would it be? Uh, Francis McDormand. Mm, nice. Or Jason Bateman. Hell yeah. To, oh, go ahead, Katie. Okay, wait. So, oh, wait. I think we've already answered mine. Who would I want to act next to would be Larry David. Oh, yeah. And who would I want to act? Who else would I want to act with? Um... Bill Hader is fucking amazing. Like I would probably go for comedic <laughs> actors. So Bill Hader. I would. Mine's always been since day one. Ethan Hawke. Wow. I'm just obsessed with him for some reason. It's really weird. Like really obsessed with him. And then I've always I've always loved Rosie Perez, the random one. And I just like oh, want cool. her. I just want to see her in something more dramatic because I feel like she's actually really. First of all, she's hilarious. But her like white men can't jump. Some of her drama scenes in there. I don't know. So I'd love to just no, see her like do something great. really serious. I don't, I don't know. So those, yeah, those are mine. I think. Um, another audience question from okay. Becca Ress. That's my friend. Uh, she asks, "What's your hey, dream job for filmmaking slash dream project?" That's awesome. That's a cool question. Well, mine's just to be a union cinematographer and to be doing a lot of. Movies that show the true humanity of human beings. <laughs> I'd love it. I'd say mine is to, which is seeming somewhat reachable right now, is to film a feature in West Virginia on location with people from there as far as the cast and crew. That'd be just, that's my dream right now. It's going to happen, Anthony. Thank you. I hope so. <laughs> what about you, Katie? So... I think I'm, you know, living my dreams right now. Wow, that's cool. Hell yeah. But, I mean, definitely, you know, like you said, Anthony, like you get to one level and then you want to go to the next level and the next level. So, you know, I want to do, like, I want to produce, you know, Garris feature. I want to do a special piece, our feature. Yeah, and then from there, you know, I may just, like, go into, like, EPing and, like, uh, writing and producing my own work and stuff like that so that that'd probably be my like dream is just to mainly ep and write and act here and there for sure let's say you're pitching um yourself to 
somebody that potentially wants to work with you? How do you pitch yourself? Ooh, damn. Because I struggled with this the other day because I've yeah. never actually like pitched myself. That's a uh, damn. That's a good question. Katie, what do you what do you think? I never will put pitch myself again. I want my work to stand for itself. And okay. if someone like approaches me, that's amazing. But I, I, I guess my dream, one of my dreams is not to ever have to feel like I have to pitch or like impress someone again. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, this is what I've done. This is what I do work with me or not. You know, I know that, that sounds kind of arrogant. I don't mean for it to, but I think there's sort of a, the whole concept of pitching is like, Oh, am I good enough? Am mm -hmm. I good enough? Is this good enough? And it's like, fuck yeah, it's good enough. You made it. It's beautiful. It's, it's, it's incredible. Like people are going to love it. You know, mm -hmm. I think you have to have that confidence in it, but I know Hollywood is so like heavy on the pitching stuff. And, um, yeah, I just, I don't feel like we should have to, I mean, it's one thing if you're saying like, oh, I'm doing a project and like you're doing a pitch deck or something like Brandon makes beautiful pitch decks, but he otherwise does. If you're passionate about it, it speaks for itself. I feel like I feel, yeah, I feel you got me thinking about something is cause I didn't know when you first act, but now from when the couple of times I have done it, I've, for instance, when I was in West Virginia and I was pitching my, it wasn't like investors, but they could have been maybe mm -hmm. because they live there and they want to see more authentic stories there. So I was looking at that way when I was pitching it, but I, I how I pitched it is it's, it's my, it's, my personal relation to the piece mm -hmm. as in why I want to tell it. And it's, if you go back to my podcast and me listening to Tyler Childers and getting so infatuated with his world, like I mentioned things like that, like the history of how I got here. I feel mm. like that's how I pitch myself is how much this thing means to me and why I need to do it. And even as a director of photography, I feel like, or photographer, director of photography, God, sorry. I feel like, <laughs> I don't know. There's probably a way to do that for you too. Yeah. Right. I mean, I mean, it's just so interesting because I feel like uh, when I pitch myself to people, I'm always like, this is like visually w where I want to be with my cinematography. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I just feel like when I do that, I'm not showing myself at all. Yeah. Which is just something I need to work on. Well, but I think that's you just hit the nail on the head. That's why I don't like the concept of pitching. All you have to do is ha have a conversation with Anthony about his film and you fall in love with it. You know what I mean? All I have to do is talk to you, Brandon, about our movie and, you know, or someone else, like other people and everybody universally falls in love with it yeah. because we are in love with these projects. Yeah. So I feel like if that's where you're coming from, there's nothing to prove there's nothing like it's just this is what it is this is what i love this yeah. is what i love about it and then every people are immediately captivated and that's where i always went wrong when i was younger is that i would get so nervous and like so like okay i have to have this done and i'm gonna say this exactly the sentence and this log line and it's like yeah no throw all that out the, out the window just yeah. just talk mm -hmm. about what you love and it'll It'll be great. If if it's the right person, it's gonna be the right person. If it's not the right person, they would they wouldn't like it no matter what you how prepared you are or yeah. what pitch deck you have or whatever. And don't get me wrong, I love Brandon's pitch, pitch decks. They're so beautiful and they're necessary sometimes, one hundred percent. Maybe to get into a room or something, but from there, 
I think you just talk, speak from your heart. Yeah. I agree. And I feel like if you're having trouble pitching yourself, maybe this isn't the project. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're, you have work to do on the project. Maybe it's not, I don't know. Do you agree with that? That's totally 100% true. Like if you don't know the story, nobody else can know it. Nobody else is going to discover it through you. If you don't know it, if you don't have that, like, like just like crazy, like fire in your belly about it. How can somebody else? Yeah. I feel like there's a scary, at least me, when someone says to pitch yourself, there's a scary, like not scary, but there's this connotation. That's like, Oh, I gotta like slick back my hair and like like, (laughs) sell myself. I don't know. It's, or when you, when you like the elevator pitch log line, when you give someone the store, like you have to be so fancy and say the right words, but really it's just (laughs) to say the words that mean them. Like, you don't, don't overthink it. Obviously there's skills and traits you can learn, but as far as the content of what you're saying, just, just make it personal to you. Don't try. Yeah. I feel like when you're pitching yourself, you're trying so hard to pitch somebody else like not yourself like you're yeah yeah if you just relax and just talk and be yourself then it could probably go farther but yeah which is easier easier said than done but it just feels like when you're talking to somebody that you don't know you're you're trying to say things you think they want to hear but you don't even know what exactly exactly Mm -hmm. yeah when really i have another one Another question. Okay, this is from Fuck Lil Jake. Uh, this is that's his username. It's my friend What's Jake. His name? Fuck Lil Jake. Oh, okay, that's what I thought you. Yeah, said. he's <laughs> he's the homie. Good good friend. That's good person. Amazing. Great human that's being. Amazing. Um, shout out to Jake. Who is your favorite person in the film industry of all time, and how did they inspire your work? Oh man, I had a dream the other night. Uh, I was directing a special piece, and guess what? who was next to me the entire time? Tom Hanks, Steven Spielberg. Oh shit! What? And he was gui- He was literally guiding me through the entire process. That's so beautiful, Brandon. Oh my gosh! I wish I had somebody like you did from like day one. That still, that I still, that still inspires me. But I really don't anymore. I think it changes a lot. I don't know. Like I said, how the industry is always evolving. You see these breakout directors like Celine Siamo who did Portrait of a Lady on Fire and you're like damn that's what's currently inspiring mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. But I guess yeah, the oh god, Tarkovsky, that's uh, I don't know. I wouldn't say I'm, I strive to be like him, but I just think as a the pa- from a passion perspective and the stories he told, I just I think it's really Um yeah, I don't know, that's a really hard question. Like I I just I think I'm like Anthony, it changes all the time. I have like definitely like writers that like inspire me and like always have, you know. Um, like who? Oh, Billy Wilder. Like I was just mm. picturing Sunset Boulevard. Like that's probably one of like the most beautiful scripts like ever, ever, ever. I just love it so much. And Charles Bukowski, he's oh. not a screenwriter, he's just a poet and a writer like a novelist and he's my favorite writer so yeah i don't know i think it changes all the time though like honestly great answer yeah everybody's got some interesting inspirations (laughs) your answer was amazing too it was and i love i really do love your dream like i i think (laughs) that could have been more of a prophecy let's hope so that is crazy. How I, actually, cool do you have be? vivid dreams like that where you're? I do often have vivid dreams. So is that the first time you Spielberg do? has showed up? That's actually the first like filmmaking dream that I've really had. 
And what were you doing? You were sitting in the director's chair or what were you yeah, doing? Yeah, and like I was actively going in, giving the actors like new things to do and then asking Spielberg if I did that the oh, right God, way. That's fucking awesome. Like we were filming that's like so cool. a scene and I was like, I really want to give these actors like a notebook. So yeah. that way this lead actor has like something to interact with. And I was like, I mm. think it's just going to change the feeling of the scene. And Spielberg was like, yeah, go, go try it. Oh. So I tried it. <laughs> I love that that's so, so cool. much. See, that's going back to that's pitching so yourself. Much. Like Brandon, just that right there. That's just so Brandon. And also like your Lego movie. It's, it's when you pitch that to people, it's going to be hard not to fall in love with that story and you, because <laughs> you can show them these stop motions you've made from back mm-hmm. in the day and how like cinematic they are too. And just, I it's, mean, when it's I've your been, life. When and, I, yeah. I mean, when I've been pitching the movie to people, I've been pitching it as if it's a movie about myself. Like I literally say, cool. it's like me in my high school. Like that's what the movie is about. So that's cool. If you're interested in me, you're interested in my movie. So <laughs> again, I could totally see Spielberg getting down with like, if you grew up, you know, in the nineties, I could see you would probably have been a Lego kid. Totally yeah. making little stop motion films with Legos. You ever see his old exactly. stuff? Yeah. Like on super eight there's like war films and stuff. Yeah. They're like incredible. Yeah, they are. <laughs> <laughs> he was so clever. He, he, I remember he designed, I don't know, he was like, what, 12 years old? But he designed a way to make it look like these soldiers are stepping on landmines mm-hmm. by putting... Stepping on wood. Yeah, wood that are covered in dirt. Oh, and when you step on it, it looks like... It looks yeah. so... It's so practical. And he also uh, discovered, like, when you're filming with an airplane, if you just tilt the camera instead of actually tilting, like, the plane, it looks like you're going upwards so, or downwards. Yeah, it's just... I can learn like, so much from 12-year-old Steven Spielberg. <laughs> I would have never <laughs> thought of that, that at that age yeah. i would have never i would have never even thought filmmaking was a thing at that age so cool um so uh thank you audience for the questions and tune in next week where we have a guest heather mingo um we're gonna try and do a few of these episodes here and there so that way you guys get to know us as we get to know other guests and yeah if you like the show please leave a review if you would like to get emails for when we release episodes shoot us in your email at thisindustrylife at gmail.com and yeah thanks again for listening thank you seriously thank you for the questions and for listening to these things for sure tune in (laughs) seriously (laughs) tune in next week for heather mingo's podcast See ya. Bye. Love y'all. Bye.